2: Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data. Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.
3: To a Celtic state of mind, it is Friday and just like the Celtic team that we cover, we're hit by, well, I don't know if it's injuries or absences or what it is, but Jim's taking his well-end dress this week and it is just Tony and I for the foreseeable. So don't Saddle. switch off yet, we can promise it's an an interesting one, can't we, Tony? <laughs> and that's
4: one more for it, yeah.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> so, just wanted to say a few hellos. Hel- Afternoon, Axon Friday crew, Paddy Lavery, lovely to see you. Uh, you're always on the show and we love to see you there. Um, uh, ASM1, hi folks, Friday again, lovely. That Friday feeling's always a good thing. And then, I just wanted to put this one up, Tony. Tosh to Coglu Jr. Malone. What a name, by the way. Said Tosh- morning, Tosh- folks, Tosh- and then corrected himself. Afternoon, folks. Uh, the games just keep coming. Let's attack them one by one. Sounds like a good plan to me. Um Coglu, Tosh- Tony-
4: that's the business. I like that. Tosh
3: to Coglu, by the way. Absolute belter. Yeah, was- um, just before we get into things, Tony, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but a lovely little post uh, by an account called Donate for which is uh, a little boy... Uh, Five years old, I think he is. Lives in West Belfast. He's been on the heart transplant list for over three years. Just wanted to highlight that because uh, he's obviously wanting to raise awareness, not just for himself, but for everybody who's on those organ transplant lists. And Rangers actually did a very nice thing and sent him a signed football as well. So um, great to see football crossing that divide and proving it doesn't matter in cases like that.
4: I've a doubt. We've had a, a plethora of that recently, haven't we? We had the uh, Roar for Rory uh, the other week there and also the I minutes mean, applause the other night at the Harts game for Devin Gordon. Uh, I'm all for that, Laura, yeah. And you're raising awareness for amazing causes. Uh, you know, so uh, football is a great leveler that way. I don't care what football team you support, you cannot look at these three individual people and uh, the circumstances that surround uh, the issues that they all have or had and not be affected by it or not want to do something or not care. And, uh, yeah, um, I think that that's one way that social media and football can be totally responsible and, and can work for good and work for, for, for people's benefit. So, yeah, I hope our man gets the, the organ donation that he, he, he's thoroughly deserves and uh, and I was delighted to see that they had the role for Rory and just really sad and poignant the circumstances and the backstory uh, with involving the heart support of and Gordon and my heart goes out to their family at this moment in time as well but I just you know that I, I love the fact that football can sometimes be used as a positive source for good and I can only uh, applaud that and uh, when everybody, if, it, if issues like this get highlighted and, and raised on your pro your profile or your timeline, that you you retweet it and you you act upon it and don't let it go idly by, because uh, it could affect anyone at any stage. So uh, football supporters as well. So, but good to see when they all come together and and do something constructive. I, I love that. I'm all for it.
3: Yeah, no, a fantastically observed minute for um, for Devon at the game against Hearts uh, the other night, and and quite um, quite a striking thing to see the players stop and applaud as well. It was fantastic to see. Yeah. Um, uh, but back to, to Dohi, Um hope he's doing well. If, he, if, if him or his family watches the show um, or if anybody knows him, just tell him we're sending him all our best wishes. Um, and if anybody wants to know more about organ donation and how you can get involved in, in, in making sure that you opt into that for people who need it in the future, then you can go onto his website and have a look.
4: It's a beautiful picture of that as well, with Dohi and the Celtics holding the Rangers ball, wasn't it? You Absolutely. A wonderful snapshot of life there, football, as you say, crossing that divide and people coming together for the right reasons. Loved that.
3: certainly does, and it puts into perspective all of the stuff we're about to spend the next hour talking about. But we'll spend the next hour talking about it. Uh, uh, no, no questions asked. Um, first of all, just wanted to get your um, thoughts, Tony, on the game against Hearts on Wednesday night. An overview, if you will, of. You know, I think that, I think everybody agrees. Uh, certainly Brian and I agreed on the match coverage the other night that, that it was very much a game of two halves. There was a performance in the first half and a performance in the second half. I know you were at Tyne Castle. What did you make of it?
4: It's great to be back at Tyne Castle, I tell you that. It's, uh, <laughs> there's a few better grounds in a midweek night than, than Tyne Castle. I uh, thought Celtic were terrific the first half. They really were. O'Reilly and Hitati and also Big Jack and Marcus. thought he led the line superbly. And... His goal, it's a thing of beauty. It might look simple, but it's not. And I don't think. Well, I don't know. I never saw the after match show, but you cannot praise that goal enough. It's the ball in from O'Reilly. It's on the money. And uh, a, a colleague of mine on the Celtic way, Sean Martin, he he did a kind of scouting report on Jackie and Marcus, and he mentioned the fact that his most of his finishes in this the Eredivisie last season were one touch finishes, goals hmm. like that. And he mm. flagged that up. Now, Jackie Marcus is getting up to speed with Scottish football, but he's got three goals and four starts. And his last two have been one touch finishes from crosses into the box delivery, right? He's made them look easy and they've been the hardest chances of the match, right? So you look at that and you think nuts and bolts of a player there. Hitati, you just love him, don't you? Mm. I'll refrain, refrain from singing it or no, I you <laughs> know my thoughts on Hitati. Uh, really impressed with Matt O'Reilly. I just mm. thought of every, you know, he looked composed. Yeah, he tired, but it was a lot of the team tired. You know, but it see the see the way Celtic play and They get them, they manoeuvre themselves into that winning position at two nothing. You know, it's terrific. And then you know the levels drop, and I know Alan Morrison was working on some kind of. Uh, article saying how how they can overcome this energy levels dropping and stuff, but then is that down to maybe substitutions being made earlier? I, I don't know. You, I don't. I'll never query the manager and his tactics and what he thinks. But mm. it was obviously a tapering off in the second half. It was the original game of two halves, wasn't it? And even on was he what sixty-two minutes from the park? Jota was terrific. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was he was he was outstanding, and I, I joked the other day. I said that uh, Michael Smith left the park with a damaged ego. He just didn't hope <laughs> with Jota, I just, you know what I mean, and uh, and Hatati's goal also said that that should have got its own show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival because it was a thing of beauty. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there was lots to like about Celtic the first half, second half typical through the ringer performance wasn't it they, they just mm-hmm. do it there's, there's always a mad 10 minutes isn't there and they do Absolutely. it against most opposition because as Ange and yourself, myself, Brian and all the guys that have contributed it's that kind of lack of a killer edge, clinical, mm. ruthless edge to really finish off teams, they did it once this season at Easter Road when he went three up in jig time and the game was done and then mm-hmm. he just in management the second half. They could have done that against Hearts. They could have been three up at half-time and the game would have been done. But Hearts got their goal, they got the penalty, they got a bit of fortune. You move on, you take your three points because it's a vital three point. So overall, the estimate of that is just, it was a must win and they won.
3: Well, it was that and there was a lot of, uh, the a lot of, good points in terms of the way the team handled the match that I felt we probably wouldn't have done uh, previously Um, Mm -hmm. the the, the way that the performance went in the second half I could have seen so many times especially the way we played last season and and a bit of the season before, that's the type of second half we'd have lost the match or at least drawn it, you know, we would have crumbled underneath the pressure I think
4: And do you know what as well Laura, I was talking to my dad and he made made a good point as well I'm actually glad Joe Hart died the wrong way (laughs) You see if he dives the right way, that supposed <laughs> hits him and goes in. Yeah, yeah. Which is the way the ball traversed across the goal line, so we got a major break there. But yeah, he
3: almost had, t- no had time to get up and get out the way of it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and always, you know. So I actually, I was I mean I thought about, it, I thought God's right, you know. So, uh we, you know, the I thought, but they showed a real bit of resilience and character. I think as mm-hmm. you said there, alluded to teams of the past might have folded, or they might have. Uh, he might have given away the two goal lead, chucked that away. So that's what the manager's instilled there. And you and made a point of referencing that as well. You know, your big players stood up to the plate having not played together. Hatati, mm-hmm. you know, O'Reilly, Jackie Marcus, Cameron Carter Vickers. I'd love to see him walking about his house because if he's as unruffled as that playing in a game of that magnitude and with a vital three points at stake, then pff, nothing will phase him. Just don't
3: find yourself in his house uninvited. I can't imagine it would go well for you, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, people have their whipping boys, don't they? And Starfelt still seems to get it. But did he do much wrong the other night?
3: Yeah, I, I've, I've said about Starfelt, um, I got a bit of a slag in it, actually, one, one of the, the games last the last couple of weeks where I described his performances as fine. And, and to be honest, like, that's not a criticism of the guy. I... I I just want my defenders to be there to do the job. I don't need them to be mm. spectacular. I don't need them to be the Rolls yeah. Royce footballer that Van Dijk was. I just want them to do the job that they're there to do. And he certainly seems to be finding his feet and doing that.
4: Defend. Mm. <laughs> First yeah. all, see when that ball comes whipping across the box and he slides in and wallops it away. That's what I want my defenders to do. You yeah. know. That's you know. I'll you know you can get through the whole team, but I, I saw Greg Taylor and. Iranovic, one of the great, Forrest was still ring rusty, still needs matches, and I was surprised that Forrest came into the team, because I thought he might have played a badder, so mm-hmm. you know, these are just uh, things that, when we're saying say nitpicking, but just observations more than anything else, you know, but I, I was really chuffed with the way they played, because that was a tough, tough game, and playing with that team who, you know, Hattati himself said it, was he asked what it was like to play with O'Reilly, and he said, I don't really know him. He talked about the communication barrier as well. He was talking about that. That needs to improve. You know, he, he had a few training... I don't even know how many training sessions he'd had with him, but they were thrown together. You know, and, and up until Big Beaton starts playing basketball in the in penalty box, he was actually pretty accomplished and doing the dirty work good and just, you know, being that kind of anchor man. But again, either, either 15 minutes where you thought, what are you doing, big man? You know, and maybe lucky to... Escape kind of punishment and stuff for misdemeanors, but you know, just stick to what you're good at. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. Don't have his heart failure, <laughs> basically. You know, well, as Jim um, calls it, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Louis Callahan on, on YouTube comments agrees with you. Uh, O'Reilly looks a player, and he certainly does. Um, but I wanted to touch back on a player that you were talking about before, um, and Pedro McDonald. Says perhaps the only geo who will be lifting trophies isn't the one the press hoped it'd be this season. Nah, I don't know what he could be alluding to, but we'll talk about our Greek striker Jakimakis. Um I like you said, he he seems to be a a player who thrives on those one touch finishes on on being around sniffing around the six yard box. I made the point the other night on the on the match coverage that I think in the modern game, okay, we have to progress, we have to. Change the way and, and update and adapt to the way football is played, but there's still a bit of me that feels like if a striker can do what he did the other night, be in the right place, get the service, tap the ball in, if that's all he provides us with, surely that's enough for a striker.
4: Listen, the manager has been talking this guy up, maybe for his confidence levels or whatever. He knows exactly what he's got with Jacka Marcus, right? He might not be yes, mobile. Is Kyogo and Maida, we know that for a fact, right? Mm-hmm. But if you put the ball into that danger area, he will score. These three goals have been one-touch finishes. Mm-hmm. Go against St Johnston, and Ralston rattled the ball across the goal, and it came at him from behind, and he, he volleyed it in. He's volleyed a on-the-money delivery from Scales, top corner volley, no thought about it. And then mm-hmm. the other night, to have the presence of mind want to be in the position, and two, to scoop it over Souter's foot. It's the scoop thing. No you know, yeah. elevation on it. Because he, he connects with that and just trundles it low. Souter smacks mm-hmm. it away, or it cannons off Souter. You know, the defender clears it. So he's got the presence of mind to actually go in and then angle his body because it's coming behind him again, and lift mm-hmm. it into the net. It, it, it is a predatory, brilliant striker's goal. See if Larson scores that, people go mental. I'm not comparing the two, I'm comparing the finish before people go tonto and say, you know, you know I'm talking about the actual predatory instinct to get in there where it hurts and score a score a goal, which is the hardest part of football, and have that instinct to do it. So I'm saying that 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 to me was a Larson-esque finish. Mm-hmm. No. You understand what I mean by that, don't you? How many times did Henry get in front of somebody, a low ball coming in and sweep it home? You took it for granted after a while. This this is clearly Yakimakis's 40. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I'm bigging up the goal because it seems so simple, but it's not because everything about it was great. And then O'Reilly, O'Reilly's cross is just, it's just begging to be put away, isn't it? And, uh, yeah. And I think, as Jacko said, his season's starting now, this is the hungry Jacko Marcus that we wanted to see.
1: And mm-hmm.
4: and and Anne's mentioned the penalty. He's clearly said to him, "Don't let that penalty be your defining moment of this season, because there's much more time, and I'm relying on you now." So he's probably he, he's got him. his chest puffed out because the other night he just looked like a different animal altogether up front, yeah. right? And and that's that's all you want, Laura. And then when the ball's put in that area, you want your striker to score. And he did. And he scored what's turned out to be the clinching goal. So from small acorns, go and repeat it on Saturday. And then if you're of a mind to, do it against the Rangers. And uh, yeah.
3: Nobody would be objecting to that. And Rhino on YouTube, uh, love the avatar, by the way, just remembering big... Uh, Big Caesar there. Um, Gigi's job is to score goals. He has a great conversion rate. That goal the other night was unreal. So, um, like you say, had it been Larson, people would have been going mental for it. Um, but Polymorphos on YouTube also mentions it wasn't just a goal. Gigi made plenty of good runs into the box and wasn't found. Might not be as mobile as, as Kyogo or as, as as Meda, but he's, he's mobile enough. Do you agree with that? Do you think he's maybe not getting the credit he deserves for
0: Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia Media gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
3: For what he's actually managed to do so far?
4: Last night, I thought he led, he led the line superbly well the other mm-hmm. night. In a game that was massive for Celtic, they had to win it, and they did. He played a huge part in it. He scored the winning goal. You know, you're judged on your contribution. As long as he's making those runs, Laura, if players only find them, then it's not his fault, is it? But no. he, get in, he get in where it mattered and he made the most telling contribution of the game. Because that's the goal that's won the match. So, you know, he, he, he can only do... You know, you're only as good as the service, aren't you? Mm-hmm. From, um, but as long as he's making those runs and he's willing to go in there... And, and do it, then it's up to others to find them, you know. And when you do find them, then that's that's the moments of quality that separate you from being a good striker and a great striker.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, he, I, think I think the problem is, and I said this before uh, before the game actually the other night was, uh, you know, we've we've uh, sometimes we can be a little bit. I don't know what the word is. Well, yeah, I do know what the word is. A little bit um, premature in our judgment of players. I think Alan Morrison, when we were having the discussion the other night, said that on average it takes around 900 minutes, so 10 full games of 90 minutes to judge a player properly. Yakimakis is nowhere near that for a number of reasons. He wasn't fit when he came in. He's had a couple of injuries. You know, I think if he takes this opportunity while other players are injured or on international duty, if he takes a chance, somebody said to me the other night, if he scores a couple of goals against Hearts and Rangers, does your opinion of him change? And I says, well, absolutely. Like, there's no question about it.
4: And he knows that himself, Laura, because he bought himself some time after the Allover game with the interview and said, my season starts now. Because mm. no, people look and say, you're only scored against Alloa," and, that, and that's fine. Start a top draw a finish. Yeah. Opposition you're playing against, start a top draw finish. I look at that and see the nuts and bolts of a striker there. Mm-hmm. The raw material is there for me, and he will get better with games because he's still getting to know these guys as well. Because he's no played, he's no featured, and everybody got on his case because of the lackadaisical nature of his penalty against Livingston mm-hmm. and injury time when they expect a striker to run up and batter it and hammer it home. and You know, it was a crucial two points that were dropped and everybody felt it that day. And He bore the brunt of that. You know, and he's had to carry that because he's not had an opportunity through injury and he's desperate to show people, that's no me, that's a blip. And the one man that was telling us, that's no him, that's a blip, was the manager. Mm -hmm. Because he watches him every day in training. So he knows what he's got with Jack and Marcus. You know, and there's a kind of that's... Andrew would never be smug, but you get the feeling that he's sitting there the other night thinking, I told you so. Yeah. If you listen, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit there, but you know, fucking metaphorical V signs that people, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I asked him the question after that about the, the nature of the goal.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's when he
4: spoke about the, that it was my question. I said, look, it's the nature of that goal that would have pleased you most. Both players involved, but Giacomac is, you know, himself with that kind of finish. And he kind of, and then he spoke about the penalty that he he'd said to him, look, that that's the pressure that you're under when you're. He said the Celtic number nine, obviously was number seven, but he meant the main striker. Mm. You know, that burden of responsibility is heavy on your shoulders. You have to score. So see when you miss penalties like that, you know people will get on your case, and they will, as you say, make premature judgments and say things, yada yada. If you score goals, of course your opinion will change of him if he scores against Hearts, Dundee, United and Rangers. Because it shows we have another striker at the club who can produce when it matters in the you know, the big moments, in the big games. That's all you want, Laura.
3: 100%. I think he I think he. he can only go from strength, from strength to strength from here. I hope he builds on it. And I hope he puts himself in the contention we talk so often about players getting their opportunity and forcing other players coming back into the team to be the one to say, no, take the shirt off me. And if we've got a bunch of strikers who are there fighting it out, taking ownership of the shirt and saying, no, if you want it back, you've got to earn it off me, then then that's only the better for the team as a whole. Um before we move on to another section of discussion that I wanted to talk about, I just wanted to highlight this from Danielle F. Danielle, we see her a lot on the uh, on the show. She comments a lot. She's a, a, a long-time viewer. But this is just an example, Tony, of what I'm talking about with the Donate for Dohi. Everybody thinks that would never happen to me. That would never happen to anybody I know. That would never happen to anybody I love. Here we are. 700 people watching this stream, 750 people, and we've got at least one person who's been a direct beneficiary of an organ donor transplantation. Daniel says, please get on the transplant list, got my liver transplant two years ago and wouldn't be here without my angel angel donor. That just puts it all in perspective, doesn't it?
4: Brilliant, Daniel. Excellent. Glad you are here and you are a regular contributor because I see your name coming up a lot. So delighted for yourself and well done, your angel donor, and uh, just hoping... We can all join the list and maybe Doherty can get his angel donor. That'd be great.
3: What is it they say? They say it about money, but I think it applies to organs as well. You can't take them with you, so uh, may as well go to somebody else. Um, Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, As we say, there's over 700 of you watching at the moment uh, across our platforms. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. Get subscribed, get your notifications on to know when we go live, and that includes football content, music content, long-form interviews. We've got a a long-form interview coming up with the the one and only Alan Thompson, Tony, at the weekend. What, What are your memories of Alan Thompson as a Celtic footballer?
4: regularly scoring against the Rangers I think you'll find <laughs> <laughs> and not just ordinary goals some Brahmas. Uh, everyone remembers that one in the last minute where he just plucked out the other and scalped it past Klaus but mm. my personal favourite was the one he weaved in and out at Ibrooks and then bent Curler I think it was a second goal and a 2-0 winner honestly such an underrated goal against Rangers at Ibrox because he, he just did it with ease and he kind of did it with one foot, and I'm like, wow, what a beautiful, beautiful goal. It was, just, it was kind of like, I'm a good player, I'll show you how good I am. You know, m- most people's uh, most enjoyable game at Ibrooks round about that Martin O'Neill period was the 3 0 game, and we both scored twice, and Henry got his 50. Mm-hmm. I would say that that one as well runs it close. Because Thompson was brilliant that day, and it just that, that, that was a a thing of beauty, and he also had his moments at Ibrooks. He liked the sending off as well at Ibrooks, didn't he? But he got stuck in, that's why he got sent off. So, uh, yeah, loved Alan Thompson as a player. I thought he had what was known in the trade as what the cultured left foot wasn't it? Is that what they say? Yeah. And the Why
3: people don't ever have a cultured right foot? I don't no, know, but there's, it,
4: always there's always a cultured left foot. There was a cultured left foot, yeah, but uh, he was a man that stood up to be counted against Rangers many times. and Scored a lot of, of vitally important uh, derby goals. So, yeah, uh, good player. And also scored the goal that beat Barcelona. So I don't think there was nothing that Alan Thompson didn't do when he was a Celtic player. you know. So yeah. he, he we fondly remembered.
3: I, I always wonder about him, um, not that it will bother too many people on this stream, I would think, but um, I always wonder why he didn't get more of an opportunity with England considering they were always looking for that Left-sided midfielder, you know they used to farm Paul Scholes out that way. Um, they always talked about, oh, Ryan Giggs played for the schoolboys and then never made it because he went and played for Wales and acted as if they didn't have any other option. And there you go, you had a guy who could take set pieces, who could cross a ball as well as anybody had seen, never get his chance. It's one of those things, isn't it? I think sometimes that out of sight, out of mind is a problem with with English players in Scotland. Sometimes
4: he was still the first England player. Sorry, the first. Aye, first player to get cap for England while playing in Scotland, wasn't he?
3: I believe. Mm-hmm.
4: But he, he never got more caps for England because he played in Scotland. Because mm-hmm. that's their attitude towards the Scottish game. But Celtic and Rangers back then had teams that were terrific and who could hold their own easily in Europe. You know, it was, it was one of probably the height when Martin O'Neill's side was there. That Celtic team strode Europe, played everybody. So mm-hmm. Alan Thompson was playing in a team that was, you know, it could go into combat with any anybody in Europe the best. You know, so I, how anybody can say or look down their nose in Scottish football back then when Alan Thompson was playing and say, nah, he's still not good enough for England. It's just utter nonsense, you know? I mean, it was Alan- very
3: much, you, you hear the players talk now from that Martin Anil era and, and the fact we had to play Liverpool, we had to play uh, Blackburn and that civil run and... It was very much part of the motivation, wasn't it? Larson wanted to prove that he hadn't wasted his, his prime years. He was as good a player as everybody thought he was. He just wanted to be at Celtic. Chris Sutton had left England under a bit of a cloud after kind of flopping at Chelsea. Alan Thompson, the same. The only one you would say was maybe on an upward trajectory when he came to us was maybe Neil Lennon. And, and that was understandable that he came because of the connection with Martin and Neil, But... There was so much about that team, wasn't there? That it was about proving people wrong constantly and Alan Thompson was a major part of that.
4: You talk about that game at Anfield, Laura, John Hartson spoke to me recently and he's told many people, but Martin O'Neill's team talk that night in the Anfield restaurant, he said, Liverpool, Anfield, may as well go up the road. He said, nobody beats Liverpool at Anfield.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And then he said, look around you. He says, there's Alan Thompson there's John Hartson, there's Henrik Larson, there's Neil Lennon, there's Paul Lambert. He said, these guys will dig you out a hole. Can you look your, that, your fellow teammate in the eye and see you'll do the same for him? And like they, were, they were punching walls and punching that, this is Anfield sign, as they headed out. And John Hartson said, honestly, it was like the hairs in the back of your neck. He said, it was, it was unbelievable. He said, he really came into his own that night. He said, an unbelievable team talk. And, uh, and he said, we all walked out there. We weren't going to lose. See, we just mm. weren't losing that game. You know, and then Alan Thompson's hit the, the daisy cutter. Hartson's hit the screamer. You know, and that's, you know, that was that. the, that was the epitome of that Celtic team. Those players could cope. Yeah. You know, with anything and with anybody. You look at the teams that came to Celtic and left with nothing in the Champions League. But, you know, so you could list them all. you went entered Munich. Man U, you know, everybody came and went with nothing, tails between their legs,
3: mm-hmm. you know?
4: and, and we're in a game. That, that, that was a, a Celtic team who everybody who was around that era loved it because they knew that they were no, no just, we're in with a chance here. They were kind of like, we're going to win this, that kind of thing. So uh, culminating in Seville and Thompson and all, of, all of his teammates mm-hmm. being a huge part of that, you know. Big big players for Celtic, but in a big era. So why Alan mm-hmm. Wilson never get more England caps is beyond me. Because if you do know, or you think you know something about football, you know his England cap tally is just it's you know it's measly and not through his own fault and not through a lack of ability because the boy could play.
3: Like I say, it would have been less frustrating for me if they didn't constantly go on about the fact they didn't have a left-sided midfielder when we were watching one every week, you know, but um, Paradise 63 totally agrees with me. My favourite Alan Thompson goal is his, a brilliant free kick against Liverpool. Not even necessarily for the free kick. It wasn't the most beautiful free kick you've ever seen. He went under the wall when it jumped up, but I loved the celebration after where he was kind of spanking the left boot and, and dusting it off and all that kind of stuff as if there you go.
4: But its moments, Laura, it's big moments.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: That when Hartson scored, everybody's thought after that was we could win the FA Cup.
3: Yeah.
4: I don't care what any Celtic supporter says. Uh, that in that in that moment when Hartson rattles out into the net, people are going on the internet to book tickets for the final or get yeah. on the list because they're thinking this team's good enough to go all the way. And it,
3: it, for, for anybody, any younger folk watching yes the internet did exist back then it was still a thing you know maybe not as ubiquitous as it is now but it did exist so yeah that's just a little precursor to what you'll see coming uh, Paul John is going to be interviewing Celtic great Alan Thompson on the channel in the coming days so keep an eye out for that it was recorded in the last couple of days and it's going to be up soon so I certainly will be uh, switching on my notifications so that I can watch that as soon as it goes live um, Tony, back to the present day and, and a little bit into the future, in fact. We've got Dundee United at the weekend. Um, it, it it opens up a conversation that before we look at Dundee United and how we'll line up, as it says in the strapline, um, I saw an interesting thing um, in some of the coverage uh, this week that um, Butcher, the player who so aptly named, uh, was involved in that tackle on uh, David Turnbull, the last time we played uh, Dundee United and had his yellow card upgraded to red, he said, you know, that he um, will not be changing the way he plays. He doesn't really care that uh, that that people see him the way that he does. Um, I'll, I'll try and read out uh, exactly what he said here. It is: um, "Will I change? It's how I play on the edge of the game. I don't want red cards because it's not ideal, but it's the way I play and always has been. I was disappointed with how the Celtic one was dealt with on on." the back of my previous red, but it won't change how I play the game. It's how I play and it's when I'm at my best. If I change, you won't get the real Callum Butcher. Some might say that's an advantage, but uh, we remain to be convinced. <laughs> the, the, the reason I wanted to bring that up was it, it's a perfect example of something that we've been talking about, something that we saw in the Aloha game with, um, with Niang and with um, King against Callum McGregor causing the horrific injury he's got. We saw more horrendous challenges um, against uh, Hearts um, the other night. This issue of protection um, with referees, and I know people watching will be bored senseless of talking about it, but it's something that I, I want to keep talking about for as long as we are still having these issues. Now, you and I agree with each other. We are not conspiracy theorists. We don't believe that that referees, and correct me if I'm wrong in putting words in your mouth, but we don't tend to believe that referees go out with a, a, a deliberate decision made, I am going to make sure Celtic don't win this football match. It's more about competency, isn't it? It's it's, it's seeing the consistent lack of not only the lack of competency and skill amongst the referees, but the lack of consistency in the way that they apply things. There were things that we were getting booked for against Hearts the other night that he wasn't even going near his pocket when worse things were happening on their end. What did you make of the the referee's performance in the last couple of games? And and do you think Ange has a point when he's saying about this protection? Is, Is it something we really need to be pushing home? Mobile phone companies say they offer home
2: internet.
0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com
4: for more. Jose's moment, Ange, didn't he? Dimension hmm. protection. <coughs> and nailed it. Got it banging the money. Shit. Every league I've been on, we've had referees come in and say, that's outlawed, that's outlawed, that's outlawed. Did it happen? He's clearly not had that at Celtic, has he? No. Or has he? Well, that's the point he's making. So, you you know, referees have a duty to protect players. You know, if Callum Butcher wants to not change his, his style and change the way he, he plays, so be it. That, that's fine. That That's the player he is. That, that's what gives him his edge. So be it. Well, see, mm. a referee, you know that's the way Callum Butcher plays. You watch Callum Butcher, don't you? Or you should. Yeah. Or you should. And see if he produces something like he did at Tannery. Dice. So it's an automatic red card. You know, you cannot give someone the benefit of the doubt on that one. It's an automatic red card. You saw it in real time. Don't need VAR for that one. So, I get back to the question I've always asked. What are they seeing there? And why are they not allowed to explain it to help supporters, managers, players understand what well, you seem to come out and explain their decisions? Then you might not agree with it, but at least you get a handle on why they did it. And yeah, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just think the refs are rank rotten. They're <laughs> totally and utterly in it. Mm-hmm. Every referee, there is not one good referee in Scottish football. They're, I've said it. Because yeah. I've watched them all this season. Every one of them, I Every one of them, you just turn around and you shake your head and you think, My goodness, what are you doing? What, what, yeah. you, know, um, you talk about protection. We spoke off here yeah, twice this season. Celtic have had players with head knocks, and the referees let play go on for a lot of minutes. Car- Carol Starfield against Ross County, yeah. Like yeah. Alan, Alan Muir was the ref, and uh, Alawa, Don Robertson. doesn't no matter who the ref is, they would all have done the same thing. And uh, there is a real duty of care when it's head knocks, isn't there? I believe. Yet twice this season, Celtic players have suffered from that and referees have let, you know, because Anne's pointed to the fact that McGregor had a concussion. Hmm. There's a player with concussion on the park, Don Robertson. There's a player with concussion. It doesn't matter if you don't think that the, it was intentional. But see, when you look back in it, it's a hell of a lot more serious when you see the injury to Callum McGregor in the incident than Don Robertson never thought it was. Yeah, But it doesn't matter, there's a man down with a head no? and his cheeks like that. His cheeks look like something you see in the cartoons, when somebody gets a cartoon doing and the lump swells up and all that kind of stuff. You know? yeah. So how he can let play go on and not halt it? and You know, a real duty of protection to that footballer there. And we are highlighting, I've said this before, before people say you've got selective memory, My job is to watch Celtic matches and dissect them. That's what I do for a living. I don't have selective memory. I'll say this and I'll say it again. The officials are rank rotten and they're rank rotten for every team this season. Hmm. So Marlowe fans, Rangers fans, United fans, Ross County, Aberdeen, you will have your own personal litany of decisions for referees, uh, or refereeing decisions that have not gone your way and have been out of order this season. And I get that and I'd be quite interested, actually, to see them. Mm. Uh, We talk about Celtic players, particularly this season. That duty of protection and care, even Angie said that, you know, it's been sadly lacking from what we're watching for the club that we support and we comment on. Mm -hmm. And there's been, you know, the, the two head knocks, but then you're talking about the, the bone crushers are, or are, are what are they called now, ankle biting tackles. Is that what mm-hmm. it's now? They're now being referred to ankle biters. It doesn't matter. They're against the laws of the game. Mm-hmm. And Ange wants to know why he hasn't been sat down and told. You know how how can any manager of a football club say his players don't tackle? You know because you'll end up getting hurt. Ange. Yeah. Um, how sad is that that he's had to admit that? To protect <laughs> his own players, to say to them, look, don't get involved here, you know. And, and tantamount to saying, look, just launch it. You know, yeah. there, is, there is no point here. You know, I, I think that's... I, think that, I You see that statement in itself? That That's telling, isn't it?
3: Yeah.
4: I told my players yeah. not, you know, to protect themselves, not to tackle. Seriously. I mean, if you're in the SFA, or, or a referee, you should be listening to that and saying, or, or, you know, in the governing body and saying, why is that? What's happened to you? How can we help? Why why is a, why is a, a foreign manager uh, with an obdurate eye, and I keep getting back to that, I had to point out something that's so blatantly obvious?
3: Yeah. It's, it's unreal, sorry, I'm, I'm just getting distracted because I believe just beyond this window behind me there might be a tree or something getting chopped down outside, so if anybody can hear that, then I do apologise, you're getting a drill straight in your ears, but we'll crack on regardless. Um, yeah, I I totally agree with everything you said there, it's, it's not about conspiracy theories, it's not about... <clears throat> thinking that our club is harder done to. Now, there, there will be cases where people have a, a legitimate point to say that they think Celtic are being harder done to than anybody else. But at the end of the day, it comes down to safety for me. Safety of the players, whoever they play for, whatever team they they, they represent. It's about, uh, you know, making sure that that injury on David Turnbull didn't turn out to be a leg breaker if he'd had his, his stud um, in, in the ground. Making sure that... Uh, that Callum McGregor wasn't completely knocked out and had swallowed his tongue before he decided to mm. stop the game. You know, for example, the, the referees get so much to keep his eye on, there's no way he could have assessed that as quickly as he did and said, right, we're not getting the medical team on. But Edward um, Dr- Edward Diver gets uh, a, a good point across here, says get Big Sutton on, Tony, and ask him his views on this. Now, anybody on watching this show, I'm sure, will know Chris Sutton's views, they'll know... Don Astle's views, daughter of um, Jeff Astle, head injuries are becoming more and more an issue um, in the modern game. You see, um, I read a piece in the Herald um, that talked about the field study that said, I I can't remember the exact figures, but the amount of Alzheimer's, dementia and um, motor neuron disease amongst ex-footballers is multiple times the number it is amongst the general population. It really is something we need to take more seriously, isn't it? Of
4: course it is. We lost another footballing legend in midweek. Celtic legend, but footballing legend, Bim Janssen, 75. Mm -hmm. Dementia. You know, the correlation is there. Chris Sutton's been pointing out for years. You know, with his dad. You know, the last story I ever wrote when I left the Daily Record was... That very story that Chris with his dad—it's heartbreaking, you know. It's heartbreaking to hear Chris talking about it because it's a, it's a major contributory factor. So you, you talk about protection, you know, and, and, and certainly in football, you know, it's, it's protecting these guys for later life as well, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and how any referee, when a player has a head knock, doesn't he just call a halt? I mean, it's it's paramount, and, you know importance now. doesn't matter how uh, serious or, or less serious it is, you have to stop the game, Laura. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's just, that uh, to me, that's patently obvious. Yet, yeah. two instances in Dingwall and at the end of drill, as you say, Carol McGregor could have swallowed his tongue. Carol mm-hmm. start could have had teeth knocked out or, or, or whatever. Right? Now, fine, you have to stop the game. But I I kinda, I remember when we were talking about Starfields and I was kind of like, get on with it because I, I didn't think it was particularly bad, but he still went down, he had blood fine, right? And I get that. So some are less serious than others, but doesn't really matter.
3: But that's, the, that's the point I'm making, Tony. I'd rather the game was stopped and you stop. found out it wasn't as serious yeah. than the other yeah. way round.
4: Of course. So they, they, it's incumbent on referees to do that, isn't it? if mm-hmm. somebody gets down clutching their head then you have to stop the football match because the consequences in later life as we all know have a uh, you know a dire you know, mm-hmm. and in some and in some cases are now fatal and Chris Sutton will tell you that and the Jansen family will tell you that the Astle family will tell you that you know the court, it, it, how long can football ignore this I think Alan Shearer did a documentary on it didn't he
3: he did. I mean, that, you're talking about that being five or six years ago now, half a decade, and at that time he was calling for things and I don't think and there's much been much movement on it since then either.
4: Chris Sutton's been calling for it for years and years and years.
3: Mm-hmm. And
4: there's not been much movement there. There's been no willingness in football to accept that this is part of, you know, people suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia and there's a correlation with, with football. Uh, Mm -hmm. further further down the line. And I think the medical profession and football have to accept that the the, the dots are now being joined. It's happened too many times, Laura, isn't it, to the older generation of footballers. And if you can help this generation and generation to come, then you have to look into it and start uh, protecting footballers, you know, on the park.
3: Do you know, the, the, the one thing I was going to say, and if anybody in the comments can remember his name, I, I uh, it's escaped my mind, but one example of a referee doing exactly what he should was was the referee who refereed the match in which uh, Christian Eriksen collapsed during the Euros. I firmly believe that referee contributed to saving Christian Eriksen's life that day. It was swift immediate action, and there was medical staff on the pitch immediately. And that is what you want. He didn't know if it was serious. He didn't have the training to know if it was serious enough. And it turned out it was about as serious as it gets. And Christian Eriksen's still here today, probably in part because of his actions.
4: Isn't that what they are trained for, though, Laura, to spot that? That's why I would hope so. Know, I would hope so. I'm a referee and that's part of your, your training. I know he's not trained medically, but trained to spot when a player's in distress. You know, when you should stop the game, when there's a serious injury or... or what looks like something, a serious issue on the park. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as you say, pick up to that referee as well. Uh, someone will tell us in the comments his name, but you know the, you are guided by the actions of those who are who are in charge. Mm-hmm. And referees uh, are in charge of football matches. And I, I just I can't for the life of me understand why Scottish referees are so bad. And there's a whole group of them that are Who's the best referee in Scotland, Laura?
3: I mean, I, I would hazard to even guess a name because you would get slaughtered either way. Yeah,
4: yeah, but there's not one that leaps out at you, and you say, it's you know, he's the best of a bad bunch."
3: Mm-hmm.
4: They're just a bad bunch now, all of them.
3: And the thing that frustrates me about it is we we've had players uh, sorry managers and coaches come to largs for years. Every manager you can think of has had some form of training in Scotland and gone to the top of the game. Bobby Robson, Jose Mourinho, Alex Ferguson, like you name them and they will have been to Scotland for some period of time as part of their training. Why can we produce such top class um managers and not have the same standards of training and and things for referees. It absolutely baffles me, but Ryan Kelly has helpfully come in and says English referee Anthony Taylor did the game in which Ericsson collapsed, Laura. Um, So thanks Ryan for, for highlighting that. Well done to Anthony Taylor. That really was an outstanding memory for me from when that happened, that he was so swift. But, We'll move on to other things. Obviously, we'll come back to Vim Jansen at the end of the show. Um, I want to get your thoughts, Tony, on memories of him and we'll close the show out with him. Um, No making us great, obviously, but uh, I can't promise anything, obviously. Um, But we'll look ahead just a little bit before that to the game against Dundee United at the weekend. Now, obviously, um, we want to keep this good run going. Uh, We want to make sure that we keep the pressure on Rangers as much as we can. They've dropped points uh, in recent weeks, so we know that they are feeling uh, feeling the pressure a little bit, or we hope they are at least. Do you think we can continue the run we've been on against Dundee United, um, or are the number of internationals and injuries going to catch up with us at some point over the next few weeks?
4: There's no reason to suggest that Celtic can't uh, keep up the run. You know, you, you live for the day when all clicks into place, Laura because mm-hmm. somebody will take an Inverness clack in a Cudden, that's a scudding to you <laughs> and I, right? Celtic uh, convert their chances you know, a high ratio of the chances that they create somebody's going to cop it at some point, you know, because they are, when they're dominant, they're really dominant, they're pretty rampant but the manager and yourselves and myself, we keep going back to the fact that it's just negligent in chances in front of goal, we've been talking about it from day one you know, when I was talking about Kyogo getting a double hat trick instead of a hat trick.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I was making the point that not every you'll not beat everybody six nothing. There'll be games like St. Man when you need that one to go on and it doesn't. You know, so but when you start converting chances and it becomes second nature and you're putting teams away clinically, you know, it becomes you don't think about it. You know, so you Celtics are creating a lot of things, you know, and opportunities to get themselves ahead. Get that, you know, get them themselves hit handsomely. You know, so you that's why you're tearing your hair out. Mm-hmm. The, the football's non-question, there are certain parts of especially the first halves of games, they seem to be adopting this, let's blow opposition away, and then game management. Mm-hmm. Two nil is always a precarious lead, isn't it? And they seem to be able to get themselves into a 2 0 lead, and then the inevitable happens, somebody scores, there's panic for 10, 15 minutes, and then kind of regroup and, and see it out. But uh, I'm mindful of the fact that United came and took a draw. On each uh, when they came out and played, mm-hmm. Celtic that day. but I think Jota was in a personal vendetta to hit the woodwork and the crossbar and post challenge. I think he was on. <laughs> he was really unlucky that day. we even three times he, he scuffed the woodwork. So these things happen, you know. So, but there's no reason to suggest that Celtic can't keep up the pressure at the top and, and beat Dundee United. And then you move on to Wednesday and it's the exact same scenarios.
3: And you're rubbing your hands together.
4: Well, the exact same scenario as the Vim Janssen season. They're plenty a yes. point behind them. If angels beat Ross County, mm-hmm. they're plenty go a point behind.
2: Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of OOKLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.
4: You know, our just goes seven in front and we all know what happened then.
3: Yeah. I, I it's a, it's a funny thing that you mentioned there about you know that the the game plan appears to be that we blow teams away and then game manage. I've seen other people um Bring up the point that they don't feel it's necessarily in the planning, it's that we go hammer and tongs and then wear ourselves out. Where, where do you stand on that debate? Do you think there's a bit, there's some well, ground in that, or do you think it is more a case of that we're, it's a more deliberate choice on our part?
4: I don't know really what the game plan is, but they look as if they go for the quick kill, don't they? Mm-hmm. And then retreat, you know, that kind of thing. But I think there's a bit of both.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: you'd have to ask Ange, but he likes that kind of breakneck. Speed. And everybody always talks about the early goal that settles them down, and they play the football. They don't get the early goal, they struggle. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, the object of the exercise is to score goals. Hmm. You know, so whether you do it in the first minute or nineteenth minute, you win the game is immaterial. But Celtic try and come out the blocks, especially at Celtic Park. Uh, they, they usually spring out the traps pretty quickly, don't they? Or they try to. Yeah. And try and get yourself ahead, and then try and build on that. And then there's a kind of tapering off because you just can't keep that up for ninety minutes. So I would actually be pretty. I'd love to be a fly on the wall and the kind of planning, see how Ange approaches it because uh, I think it would be quite, quite intriguing because you can see it. You know, there's a there's a real intensity to the first half with Celtic- mm-hmm. A real intensity. You know, you saw it at Easter Road. You've seen it in glimpses this season where. Football, especially in the first half, has been pretty breathtaking at times, and then kind of as I say, there's that tapering off, and I, and, and I get all that. But you know, if it all comes together one day and they play like that for 90 minutes, somebody will take a tanking and a, yeah. real, a real hammer. But I and and that's because they'll create a lot of chances. Who knows? Jack and Mackis might end up with a double hat trick that I was talking about or tomorrow or something. I doubt it, but uh, you live in hope.
3: I had wee butterflies in my stomach when that first early goal went in against Hearts because I predicted in the pre-match coverage that we'd get a Jack hat trick and it didn't. It didn't materialise, but it was it was close enough. Speaking of which, um, you saw the way we lined up against uh, Hearts the other night. Do you expect many changes for the game tomorrow, or do you think it will be much of a muchness?
4: The only change I would make, Laura, is a bad end for Forrest. Right. Aye, Why that- is that? I think Abada can feel hard done by because he scored a brilliant goal against Arlo and he's hitting a wee kind of, vein of rich vein of for mm-hmm. and, and likewise, uh, when Abada get dropped from the side, people say he tapered off and Forrest came back in and then he got injured. You know, so I, I, would, uh, I would just... like uh, abada has got, what, 11 goals and I think he's played 34, 35. That's not a bad return.
3: No, especially yeah. for somebody who's not an out-and-out striker. Yeah, yeah. you
4: know, so I... Uh, and I just felt the other night, James, he looked a bit ring rusty and, you know, didn't contribute a lot. And then when he was involved, his shots at goal were wayward and pretty powder puff, you know. And and, and then Abada came on and it didn't do too much when he, Abada came on, but I think he was probably thinking, why did I not start? But I want players to feel hard done by by not starting. Mm-hmm. But, and the good thing about it is that's the dilemma Andy's got. He's got options now with Forrest and Abada. I'm, I'm equally comfortable with either off playing against Dundee United tomorrow. My own preference tomorrow would be a because he tried Jamesy the other night and I do not think Jamesy had his best game, but I'm still a big James Forrest fan. I think he contributes a lot, assists and steps up to play in big games. So, you know, I, if he's going to all, alternate, alternate the two, so be it. I think maybe tomorrow it's a badder's turn and uh, the rest stay as is. Is it, it's still a strong team they put out?
3: Yeah.
4: And we've got players to come back five or six to make us even stronger.
3: You know, you've so t- I'll I'll give you that, you've timed that well, waiting until Jim's not on the show to call for a badder to start. That's uh, that's well timed.
4: Uh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> <so I'm> <laughs> boom, boom, throwing things at me, you know. <laughs>
3: Uh, no, um, having said that, Pablo67 on, on on YouTube agrees with you. And I think a lot of people in the comments, from what I can see, do a bad needs to start. To be honest, I'm the same as you. I wouldn't be too shocked or too disappointed if Forrest did start, but if a Abada starts, I can see the rationale behind it as well. So it's an interesting one. We shall see. And as always, you, as you can expect from Axelm, we will be doing the pre-match coverage from half an hour before kickoff, off half-time and full-time coverage as always, as we've done with every Celtic game so far this season. Uh, line-up still to be confirmed, but we will let you know as soon as possible Um, who is going to be doing that coverage for you. It will just be guaranteed that it will be happening anyway tomorrow, uh half an hour before kickoff. Um leaving that until tomorrow to discuss in more depth, Tony, um I wanted to close out the show uh talking about Vim Jansen and, and his sad death. Now it was obviously confirmed as you mentioned earlier in the show that he was like like our poor little Bertie who who lost his life earlier in the in the season um confirmed in October twenty twenty one that Vim was also battling dementia. Um, I don't like to follow you on these things, so I'm going to go first as far as, as Vim is concerned. I was um, I was a child when Vim Jansen came in as manager. Uh, my knowledge of football was not what it is now. Some, would pe- some people would say it's still not great, but it certainly wasn't what it is now. So I had no idea of his playing career, of his journey as an international footballer to World Cup management. Uh, to to the World Cup final sorry Um, I had no idea of his history as a manager either all I saw was this kind of jolly looking curly haired man who had what what I would go on to learn was a a, a nice disposition about him Um, you'll obviously be able to tell me uh, better than I know how he how he handled people in the press and things like that and what kind of a person he was but he had every virtue and every um, mannerism and every personality trait I would want in a Celtic manager. He, he seemed to take his football seriously, but not take himself seriously. He was, mm. he, he was a gentleman in every sense of the word from what I saw. Um, for me, he'll always have a special place in my heart as Celtic manager because he brought... First title that I can remember as a Celtic supporter. He stopped Rangers winning the 10, making life as, as unbearable uh, or more unbearable than it was growing up in Glasgow at the time. Um, he brought his Henrik Larson, he brought us so many other things. But, you know, Brian mentioned in the group chat the other night, and I've been pondering it for days and days and days, and I can't come up with an answer. A, sing, a person in Celtic history who's made more of an impact in a single season than Vim Janssen, I'm not sure I can think of somebody. <laughs> um, and that speaks volumes for the man considering the number of great footballers and football managers we've had at this club. Uh, yeah, I'll just finish off by saying it will be greatly missed uh, by me and so many others. Um, and I'll leave the floor to you to talk a bit about Vim Janssen on, uh, on the week that we lost him.
4: The saddest fact about Vim Janssen in my career is that they never coincided. From those that I've spoken to who were around like Murdo McLeod, who a columnist at the record, he says, a wonderful man. Paul Lambert mm-hmm. a wonderful manager. But this is a wonderful manager. But, uh, I wrote a tribute on the Celtic way the other day and I, I shared this story. My father was beside himself at the thought that Rangers would eclipse Steens nine in a row in that team. And, uh, he worked himself into a kind of frenzied state all season. And I genuinely wanted that my father would pass away because he was, and eventually I had to say to him, stop watching the football match. You need to go away for two hours, come back, because he was getting uptight, right? He was better at games because he could control his emotions, but see John watching the telly and stuff like that. So, so Celtic lost the first two games of the season and, you know, oh no, it's all going pear-shaped and the Rangers can't win this, you know and uh, it wasn't just any title that was at stake that year it was the mother of all Scottish Premier League titles I don't care what MD says it was important, you know to preserve this piece of Scottish football history can you can equal it, but you'll never better it and you'll never better that team that team was just special and Vim Jansen, a foreigner like Ange, came from Japan and was thrust into this maelstrom. And as you say, the, probably the fact that he had no inclination of, of the vortex swirling around him helped, helped to have a foreign manager, a calm persona at that moment in time. And uh, on the day Celtic beat St. Johnston, my brother and my father went to the game. I was working for what I called the Paisley Gazette della Sport. <laughs> it was the Paisley Gazette, and we covered St. Merlin, and I covered them for the record and stuff. They were playing Dundee, so it was like a meaningless end-of-season match against Dundee. My, my father and my brother go to Celtic Park. They park at the McDonald's at the Parkhead Forge. Only one of them, well, they get one ticket, and my brother, to this day, who are slaughter, say said to my dad, I'll toss you for it, instead of handing it to my dad, who's like, you know, on the verge of a cardiac, right? I'm just like, and they, they have a toss for it and my father loses a toss. So he used to sit in the car and listen to the radio. My brother runs away to Celtic Park and just like seriously, you left them in the car. So I'm sitting at Love Street and Superman St. won one nil. I don't even don't care. Somebody says Henry Larson scored after the first few minutes. Okay. And I am motionless. And then Harold Brackback scores whatever minute it was. And I'm sitting with my hands like that. Uh, Harold Brackback scored. And in my head, I'm just singing, Cheerio, <laughs> I'm singing that in my head. Most of it, I'm staring out at what's happening. And then I go down the stairs after the St Mam game. I do all my thing. And I came out about an hour and a bit later. And I go, there's a the car park at the Old Love Street, if you've ever been to St Martin, The Old Love Street, there was a car park just outside the, the main stand. And sure enough, my brother and my father are standing. And uh, I walk towards them and lots of other journalists walking past as well. And I don't give a toss, Laura. The three of us do a huddle. We are jumping, we are shouting, we are screaming, singing, everything. Sure, I ought to tenor, the whole shooting match. For about five minutes, we are going off, one are not. There's tears, there's everything. I'm just happy my dad's still alive, right? And at one moment, we just, the three of us just look at each other and a kind of extraordinary moment of ESP. And we all go like that with a kind of imaginary glass to Vim And that's my Vim Janssen story. We just kind of looked at each other and kind of had that moment. And we went, yeah, he gave us that. Vim Janssen gave us that moment. And just, you, the euphoria, the relief, I don't, I think every Celtic supporter has a story. And uh, from that day, and I called my dad and my brother the other night on the phone. Mm-hmm. And when they picked up the phone, the first thing we all said to each other was to hansen handsome because they knew exactly what I was going to say. And uh, we, we raised our real glass. I said, you got a glass in your hand? And we, we all had a drink and down the phone and because my brother stays in England. And uh, so I just said to him, right, hey, I'm having a drink, you're having a bit aye, aye. So they, we pulled a couple of our choice, and we had a wee drink to, to him. But I, I think the, the wonderful thing is, I put that on the Celtic Way, I put it on Facebook, and people come back with their own stories,
3: mm-hmm. about
4: what that season meant to them, and their family. And, you know, old people of an older generation who remember each team, like my dad. You know, it, it was just brilliant to share that and you know the, the, the moniker that they gave Scott Brown when he left captain leader legend I, I apply it to Van Ranson, manager leader legend hmm. as he will and he will always be in the hearts and minds of the Celtic supporters one year but it was a title that mattered and it mattered most and uh, to all the Celtic fans who were there their nerves were shattered their nails were bitten to the quick but uh, they'll get, they, they will They it will. never be forgotten. And Paul last spoke to Paul Lambert recently, who told me there's not much in the way of a tribute to Van Jansen uh, in and around Celtic Park. And I thought that's sad. And he mm-hmm. said he didn't want it for anyone else. It was not about what she said. It was for, for Vim himself. I'd like to see Celtic rectify that. Because as I said at the start, it was the mother of all league titles. You'll never have a situation like that again. Because it went to the wire, you know, and uh, and this jovial curly-headed man, who just looked like an old uncle or a, or a granddad or whatever, and he just he just took it all in, and you just the, the there's a lovely picture of him and Henrik Larson, isn't there?
3: Yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about.
4: And you look at that, and you look at those two men, and you think, in the last well, I don't know, in the history of the club. There's two guys that brought you, brought you unbridled joy. And uh, if you bring unbridled joy to the Celtic supporters, you will be a legend in their eyes and history forever. And they still there. And I will say to every Celtic supporter, to Vim Janssen.
3: 100%. I'm just looking at the comments and all the, the things flooding through the party on Royston Road, all the parties in Glasgow that night. I was actually at a party up the road uh, at my friend's house whose family are all Celtic daft and and we went there and I was allowed to stay up past midnight, Tony, and celebrate that particular victory. It was fantastic. So uh, we all had benefit from it. Um, Yeah, RIP Vim. Thoughts of everybody at Axom um, and all of the Celtic support, I'm sure, are with the Janssen family. With that said, we'll leave you for today. Um, It's been a great show, Tony. Really enjoyed it. Um, uh, we'll be back for the match coverage uh, against Dundee United tomorrow and don't forget about that Alan Thompson interview that's coming up in the next few days Keep keep your notifications on for that thanks Tony, thanks everybody and we'll see you again soon
2: Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.
3: Network. With lucky landslots, you
1: can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?